MSW Media. The coronavirus pandemic has already impacted all of our lives. What do you need to know to keep you and your family safe? Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name's Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a CNN legal analyst. I'm usually joined by my friend Patty Vasquez, who's still running for office uh, for at least a few more days until the election comes here in Illinois. But I wanted to talk to all of you um, before getting to uh, our patrons and thanking our patrons for this episode. Uh, as some of you may have, may not have known or realized, uh, we've had a little bit of a gap between our last two episodes. And that was due to the fact that I traveled internationally and my sound engineer, uh, who works, uh, is really the other only other person who's working to put this thing together, was all, then herself traveled uh, internationally. You can understand, given the difficulties of international travel right now and what we have to do you know, after that, how difficult it's been to put all of this together. And that's why we have put together an episode now that focuses on the coronavirus uh, and very specifically giving you information that will help you um, understand what you need to do and what you know what we're going to expect going forward. Very practical uh, episode this week. We're going to have somebody who actually has coronavirus right now, and then we're going to have an infectious disease specialist to talk about this. So now, before bringing in our guests, I'd like to thank our patrons with special thanks to Michelle Dew, Eric DeWurst, Edie, James Frohmeyer, Jay Gelhausen, Jamie Gordon, Steve Hungsberg, Shana Wachinski, and an anonymous patron. You can become a patron, too, on our website ontopicpodcast.com. Just click the support link at the top of the page. So now let's get to our first guest. And this is the first time in our podcast that we've had a guest appear anonymously. Um, but this is an individual who has the coronavirus, um, has been te- who tested positive very recently, and um, I and asked me if, you know, agreed to be on, but asked me to keep his identity a secret. Uh, from all of you, and I agreed to do so. He's not looking for publicity out of this. He just wants to share, as I have given him the opportunity to do, his experience, um, you know, going through this, the, the symptoms he's had, and his experience with being tested, and so on. He can't talk for long. He said that if he talks for more than, you know, 15 or 20 minutes, that it's, it starts hurting his throat. So we're going to keep this fairly short, but I want to, uh, I think his his story is important and it'll help us understand what this could feel like if we ever become infected ourselves. So let's get to our guest. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So can you tell us, sir, you know, how did, how did you first realize you were sick? How did you feel? Uh, I kind of felt a little run down. I had a nagging kind of cough. Um, it manifested about 17 to 20 hours before my fever and aches and pain started. Um, and I just kind of felt tired. So I, I went home early from work and, uh, just kind of plopped on the couch. 
Uh, the next day I was, uh, I felt kind of classically sick. Like I had the flu, uh, you know, spike temperature, aches, pains, chills, uh, cough, runny nose, congestion, uh, reduced appetite, that kind of thing. And it just kind of progressed that way for a few days. So what did you do when you started feeling sick? Uh, so I generally, as a matter of practice, don't go to work when I'm sick. I don't like spreading germs. So I usually self-isolate and I did that this time too. Luckily, um, I basically called out from work and stayed home, had, uh, my coworkers cover my, my docket and, uh, and appear for me, um, or continue what they could. And I just stayed home. What, how did you find out that you tested positive? What, 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 what did you end up seeking medical attention at some point? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think, and I think this is where a lot of confusion lies and not necessarily because, um, you know, people are lying or, you know, putting out information. I think it's because there's so little consistency between states. That's probably more reflective of the um, federal government's completely incompetent response to that. But anyway, uh, when I, uh, so I had basically been sick for, oh gosh, about a week. I was coming up on a week and uh, I generally don't ke- keep the flu for more than five days. That's kind of like the worst of it. So I started thinking and kind of rerunning my travel and uh, where I'd been and, you know, kind of the hot zones where this is kind of cropping up. And I realized that I had, I traveled through Seattle, uh, SeaTac, right, as the stuff was starting to pick up. Um, and who knows how many people were actually contagious because we're not testing. But that's when my mind started to drift that way. And I was like, well, I am in kind of the exposure group. I could have caught it that way. Um, so I called up um, – urgent care and I went in to get a a flu test and when I showed up um, they kind of ran ran the regular flu test I ran negative um, and then they referred me to my local ER for uh, further testing viral testing so when I I went over there um, I basically walked it walked to the ER Uh, I was wearing they actually gave me a mask at urgent care I got to give a real shout out to them. They handled it pretty, as, pretty much as well as they possibly could. And the nurses that attended to me were really, really great. But they hooked me up with a face mask and uh, sent me to the ER. Um, I actually sat outside on the curb for probably an hour waiting for them to prepare an, an isolation unit so I wouldn't uh, infect or possibly spread it around. Um, then they, get, they did a full viral panel. The nose swabs, by the way, are probably the most uncomfortable thing ever because they stick it halfway down your nasal cavity to the point you can taste That's it awful. um they did that multiple <laughs> they do that multiple times and then they basically i sat there in isolation in icu for about three hours while they ran the full viral panel just to exclude um, and that's what they said they needed to do in order to have uh the authority to request uh, a covid19 test and so after the viral panel came back negative, I was negative for flu AB. I was negative for uh, across the panel. Um, they basically swabbed me again, sent the uh, swabs up to Denver um, for state lab testing, and uh, and then sent me home. And how long was it before they told you you had tested positive? So they told me it would take between 24 and 48 hours. I got tested last Tuesday. I think they took the swab at around like 9 o'clock. In the, in the evening. And then uh, I got notified by my county health department on Friday, like Friday mid-morning. So it was like three days later. So how long has it been since then? So it's been, I guess, a couple days uh, since that point? Yeah. So Friday, 
Friday is when I got the diagnosis, so just a couple days now. And is there have they done have they told you to do anything differently now that they know that that's the virus you have? No, I mean they basically said to continue to self quarantine. That's kind of the most important part. They reemphasized the fact that flattening the infection curve is kind of how we're going to beat it right now. Um, because there's no way, there's no vaccine, right? So the only way to stop it is to stop potentially spreading it or shedding the virus. My understanding is that you can shed the virus asymptomatically, both post-sickness and pre-sickness. So the contagion ability of this thing is just uh, much different than stuff that, that they've seen before. So how you are you, you're still feeling some symptoms now, as I understand it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to tell where my throat is in terms of uh, uh, the actual virus or whether it's just kind of the latent effect of coughing and, you know, hacking stuff up for, you know, close to two weeks now. Um, but uh, my my fever reduced um, last week, uh, about a week into it. Um, I stopped having a fever. I said still had mild chills, um, but right now I'm currently just dealing with like a headache, usually secondary from the cough, some kind of dry coughing. Um, and then uh, just the general lamaze, the, the lack of energy is is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it just it takes it out of you to just get up and, and prepare a meal in the kitchen and go back, uh, you know, to where you're comfortable. Wow. It must be hard to be on your own uh, and then having to prepare food and not having energy. I'm actually I'm grateful. I'm really grateful that I'm alone um, because I my my contagion circle is just that much smaller. You know, um, it is it is a pain in the ass. But, you know, there's. I'm I'm probably the per- best person for this kind of thing to happen to because I have a network of support. I have a caring uh, employer who cares about not only my well-being but also making sure it doesn't spread um, through my colleagues and work work my coworkers. Um, so I feel I feel pretty lucky to be in the position I am um, because I one I'm not spreading it around, um, and two I have the ability to stay home and self quarantine and you know order order food from the grocery store and have it left on my doorstep or, um, you know, have friends come drop off stuff on my, on my back porch. Um, so I'm not having interaction. The people that are really, um, that are really in trouble here are folks like my mom and my grandmother who, uh, are also, they also live alone, but don't have that network of support or the economic resources that I do. Um, to deal with this and push through with it for however long it takes for me to get clear. So how yeah, how will you know that you are sort of good enough to go out and interact with other people? So that's part of the frustration. I don't know. There is so much, and I don't want to say misinformation, but there's so much information that's contradictory right now about, you know, when you're still shedding virus post-symptom. Um, they've, I've, I've heard that, you know, this can come back um, or that you can basically recontaminate yourself. I don't even know if that's true. The county health department and the state health department, I know they're doing what they can, but the dissemination of fact, of real helpful information about those logistics just really aren't forthcoming. Um, and I asked them kind of pointedly when they called me on Friday if, uh, you know, if I self-quarantine for 14 days, but what if I'm, you know, what if I'm symptomatic? Mm-hmm. Does, does that extend the quarantine period? Does it quarantine start from when I self-quarantined last week? know, what, what do I do? Um, and they said they would contact CDC and the state health department to find out. I still don't have an answer. I'm, I mean, that makes sense because it's the weekend, but it's just kind of odd that that information isn't hard and fast at, at this point. Yeah. And that's why we're doing this. Cause I, I think a lot of people are trying to get information and I, I appreciate you sharing 
your experience. Uh, it's it's got to be uh, difficult, but fortunately, I know you, uh, you know you, you're definitely not a person who's elderly. You're not of a high in a high risk population, and as you said, you are able to be on your own. That's a benefit, but obviously. Um, you know, we we need to get better information, particularly to those populations that are more at risk. Yeah, and and until we do, I think the safest. And it seems I know people are saying that it seems extreme, but um, I want people to think about their grandparents. I want people to think about anybody that they have in their social network that has asthma or chronic bronchitis or some sort of diminished air capacity or uh, respiratory illness or chronic respiratory problem, because it's going to kill these people. And the only way, the only power you have uh, right now as an asymptomatic person uh, in this country right now is by social distancing, staying home, not going out to the bars, not listening to these folks on Fox News like Devin Nunez saying this is the best time to go to a restaurant or a bar. This is the worst, most unconscionable time to do these things. I feel for workers and I feel for folks that don't have paid family sick leave or paid sick leave. But the answer to that is to not not to, to go out there and then spread the virus and shed the virus all over the place, putting our at risks uh, at more at risk. The answer to that is to call your senators and tell them to get back into session and pass the act that uh, the House just passed and spent uh, and worked into the midnight hours on Friday to pass. That's the way we're going to uh, address these things for poor folks and folks that don't have a network of support is taking care of them now, not relying on individuals to go out and spend their you know few bucks uh, at night. That return is not worth it. Um, it's dangerous. It's foolish. Uh, and it's not based on any facts or, or science, which is even more dangerous. Yeah, I got to imagine that, you know, all a lot of us are concerned. I know I've been concerned about my family, but for you, this is personal, given what you've gone through. I can only imagine how difficult it's been. Yeah, well, and my grandmother, she she has respiratory problems. She um, she has COPD and uh, emphysema. My, my mother has uh, chronic bronchitis. So when folks are posting about going out to the bars and how we're strong and this isn't going to stop us, that's all well and good for you, 20-something-year-old who doesn't have a care in the world and is probably going to survive this. Um, but everyone is at risk for this. Even if you're low risk, you're still at risk for this. It can still complicate and it can still mess you up. And moreover, you can then pass it to your at-risk family members. And that's who you should be thinking about right now. That's really who's, who should be at the center center focus of your mind. That's a great point. I mean, certainly if you're a young person who's thinking about going to the bar, thinking of going out, you know, please do this if it's not for yourself. I mean, first of all, what's happened to you, and you're, you're not an elderly person, is um, was serious enough. I mean, no one wants to go through that. But but for, for the sake of our, fa- our parents and grandparents, um, please, uh, you know, I think you're giving some really good advice. We're going to be talking soon to an infectious disease specialist. But I, I, I think what you said, and particularly what you said our country needs to do is really important. So thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Flatten the curve, everybody. Thanks a lot. And now I'm going to bring in Dr. David Waitley. Uh, he is an infectious disease specialist uh, and a doctor um, here in Illinois. He's actually in Good Samaritan Hospital in DuPage, where he has been working very, very long hours uh, uh, working on this issue. So if he sounds a little tired, uh, please uh, give him uh, a break for that. Uh, it is it is not an easy job, but we're very thankful for him to come on now and share his knowledge. And he's going to be answering a lot of our questions 
Uh, when I say our, I mean your questions, listener questions that I got from all of you on Twitter, um, you know, with your very practical questions about what you need to be doing going forward and what this means and what we actually know. So let's get right now to Dr. Waitley. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Waitley. I really appreciate it. Okay, Renato, anytime. Let me ask you first, you know, a lot of people are wondering, I think just as a starting point, what are the symptoms of coronavirus? How do you know, uh, how, you know whether, you ha- whether you have it or not? Yeah, sure. So it's really very nonspecific symptoms, say low-grade fever and uh, cough, probably a dry cough, uh, maybe a sore throat, probably not too much else. Uh, we would not expect a rash. Um, we would not expect, say, necessarily sneezing or uh, runny nose or that kind of rhinovirus common cold-like thing. Uh, we would not expect that with this. But you're not going to really know. It's going to overlap with many of the other flu-like viruses, which, by the way, are still prevalent this season, uh, influenza virus. Uh, there's A and B uh, still active, as well as parainfluenza and RSV and some of the other viruses. So, you know, we've heard comparisons between coronavirus and the flu. How do those two uh, viruses compare to one another? Yeah, they'd be they'd be very very similar. Um, you you might get some uh, more myalgia, say perhaps with influenza, but otherwise uh, they're going to pretty much be very overlapping, and really a person is not going to know uh, that. That's why it's always good to get a flu shot, and it's never too late to get a flu shot now because that might help uh, prevent a lot of confusion later on and prevent illness. Because mm-hmm. sometimes your your point is that some sometimes people will be experiencing symptoms that feel a lot like the flu, but it, it may end up being coronavirus. Or you might get panicked about coronavirus when you just have the flu. And and not to say the flu is nothing, but uh, that will be a lot less uh, concerning, I think, for a lot of people right now. Yeah, it, it appears like coronavirus is more contagious than something like the flu. Is that accurate? Well, so that's... Um, Maybe not a simple answer, but I, I think right now this is a this appears to be a brand new virus. This coronavirus, it's it's a newly mutated virus. Therefore, people really do not have any uh, immunity towards it. So it it certainly seems to be very highly contagious. So I, I would put this sort of similar with that swine flu epidemic we had a few years back, where that was a mutated, um, uh, sort of a novel mutated influenza virus. The same thing happened. It's very very contagious virus, but it's going to be way more contagious than your average flu virus that we see from year to year on average. And, you know, every every week uh, something goes by. I mean, there's just so many cases happening right now with this coronavirus. It's really uh, exploded in the U.S. Yeah. Well, you, you know, it, it, obviously we also don't have a vaccine for at least, you know, many strains of the, you know, for the flu. You can go get a flu shot. You can't do that here. So I'm curious, uh, we've heard a lot about certain populations being at risk, the elderly being one of them. Can you run through with us? Because I think there's a lot of people when we've been asking our listeners for questions who are wondering, you know, I have X condition or Y condition. Am I at risk? Can you kind of run through sort of the populations that are most at risk? I think everybody is at risk just with uh, what we said, this being a novel virus that we don't have immunity towards. Um, But it looks like over age 60 um, and then uh, any any type of immunosuppression, HIV, uh, cancer, chemotherapy, transplant patients, uh, certainly anybody with chronic lung disease or heart disease is going to be at increased risk. Um, pregnancy 
typically falls uh, into increased risk for viral respiratory viral infections. Uh, we have not seen too many pregnant patients, fortunately, with this. Um, young children uh, under age one may be, may be also at, at increased risk. You know, we've heard um, about, you know, the potential fatalities. It seems like this is something that has a higher fatality rate amongst the elderly. Can you explain sort of what, you know, to the best we know what the fatality rate is and what contributes to that? How are people actually, you know, dying from this particular virus? Yes. So, uh, great question. That's a, a progressive <clears throat> respiratory illness um, with pneumonia and um, inability just to oxygenate the tissues. And uh, a lot of people uh, that go on to die are uh, having respiratory failure where they have to go on a ventilator. Um, why that happens, we don't exactly know. They're, presumably, it's due to their immunity. And, 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 and uh, so those risk factors that we talked about would would contribute to that. Um, some of the flu cases, when they pass on, it's due to um, just a, an opportunistic bacteria that sort of jumps in when the virus has already damaged some of your uh, airway uh, immunity. But this seems to be a direct viral process into the lungs. One question that people have had is, you know, w- w- if somebody gets sick from the coronavirus and then they recover, are they able to get infected again or are they effectively immune going forward? Right. That's another question that I don't think we're really aware of right now. Um, I think I think it's going to look like they're going to be immune. And, and certainly the, the number of cases in China has dropped drastically. So that certainly seems to think uh, make, make, make think that the people aren't getting reinfected. So for now, I think we're going to go with that. But as of a, a, a lot of data, uh, there's going to be more data coming in and um, the listener should certainly keep an eye on that to see if that changes. You know, Michael Way, one of our listeners, asked if there's any information on permanent effects of coronavirus amongst people who have more mild cases. You know, is there some permanent, in other words, if they, if you catch it, maybe you're a young person, you catch coronavirus, you go through that process, what, what permanent impact does that have on you? And um, I can't answer that right now simply because it's only since December that we've really been uh, aware of this virus. So as of now, there's no long-term effects that are being seen, but that'll have to uh, that'll have to be looked into. Just like 9/11, with those uh, recovery uh, workers that uh, ended up with some lung issues, we'll have to look for that. In, in general, though, Renato, you know, w- with the other respiratory viruses, there's usually very little long-term damage. Yeah, I um, yeah, I know. You know, a lot of people are going to be asking questions, and I apologize for questions that are. There, we don't have a lot of data on, and I think one thing uh, you know uh, that is an issue here is people are trying to make decisions with very little information. Sometimes there's been some disinformation that's been spread um, about this uh, virus, and so that's you know th- that's why it's really helpful to have you just tell us what we do know, what we don't know, um, and you know that can help people make some rational choices for their for their lives going forward. Um, one thing that I'm curious about, we've all heard a lot about social distancing and flattening the curve and so forth. Can you, can you explain that, you know, briefly, why is, why is this social, why is social distancing now very important? So, um, we want to obviously avoid transmission of this, what seems to be a very, very uh, contagious virus. The social distancing by keeping, trying to keep six feet away from people 
will help to prevent the transmission in, in those people that are low-grade symptomatic, you know, not too ill to be at the hospital, and those people, those people that might be incubating um, the virus before they're sick. Um, we, we're trying to avoid, um, say, a large number of cases all at once, that that high that high peak or that high curve we're trying to avoid that since that's going to put a huge stress on the hospital system and we might not be able to take care of all those people all at once if if everybody gets sick all at once so we're trying to and and the other thing is you know we're buying a little time here we're avoiding the transmission as much as we can less people get sick and uh the the more we delay that that illness and hopefully prevent it but if not prevent it delay it until there might be a vaccine in a year and hopefully there's going to be some antiviral medicines coming around the block fairly soon in the next couple of months that we could use. So uh, that's that's kind of why we want to do that. You know, you mentioned a vaccine. We got a number of questions on that. So is that a realistic time frame, maybe a year or so for a vaccine? You know, Dr. Anthony Fauci is sort of like the big guru ID guy in the country who's um, usually on the Internet uh, every day giving a, some kind of a question answer session. He, that, that's his that's his um, estimate is, is 12 to 18 months. That was a month ago. So I think so. How, how are doctors like yourself, infectious disease doctors, sharing information during this time? Because I imagine you're, you're very busy right now. Uh, probably every other infectious disease doctor in this country is very busy. You know, how are you rapidly, you know, exchanging information rapidly? Really, pretty much just at the, at the hospital level, um, you know, I'm in a group, so we all share our data in our group and then just trying to get our hospitals ready for what's coming and trying to, you know, push the county on their end and uh, just trying to get these tests done. There's really been a, a delay in getting these test kits out, and now we're really starting to be able to test the patients, so that's good. Um, but yeah, that's something we, we, we always have to try to do. I think something like this, you know, I feel very privileged that I'm able to come on your show and to be able to say something about this. I think that that helps a lot, too, to get uh, the, the information out there. Yeah, I mean, we have part of the reason that I'm doing this is everybody I know has been panicked and having questions about what they should do. We've got a lot of practical questioners, questions from listeners about what they should do. You know, we have, for example... Uh, Jill Shetty uh, asked, you know, her son's driving across the country. You know, he's going to be stopping for gas, food, and interacting with a lot of people. Should he isolate for 14 days when he gets home just because he's had contact with a lot of different people? Like, What, what would be your advice in a situation like that? You know, so so if, if there's a really suspicious contact, uh, then that might be an option. And obviously, if, if he's sick, he has to uh, go to somebody of authority to try to get a, a diagnosis. Uh, but um, otherwise, no, I would, I would say no, but you do want to try that social distancing. You know, you're, you're filling gas in your car. People are touching things. You, you want to keep your hands clean. You know, it's a 20 second hand wash um, with soap and water. Um, yeah. I mean, the, these are, these are very important questions. It, it's, it's hard to know, you know, really exactly what to do because you have a life out there too. Yeah, that's really difficult. You know, for instance, you know, I one of our uh, one of our listeners said that she's a hairstylist and she may have cancer. What precautions can she take at work since distancing is impossible for her? She still has to earn a living. What should she do? I mean, uh, 
at, this is this is so extreme. You know, at, at our nursing homes and hospitals now, we're we're not we're not allowing visitors. I mean, obviously that's going to be bad for business not to allow visitors. We're also say uh, ch- ch- swiping their foreheads and checking their temperature, and we're making them wash their hands before they come in. So these are things you know take taking inventory and asking the patient, are you sick? You know, please be honest with us. You know, you don't want to be this patient sitting in this chair and somebody else sits down with, with this coronavirus. So just be honest with us. Tell us, you know, if you're sick, don't, do not come in. So, so screening individuals, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's something you got to think about. I mean, the reality is my guess is that wearing gloves would probably not be that helpful. Is that, would that be fair to say? Would that help? It, it probably would help to some agree, degree, but you still really can't touch your face because your hand is touching something. It might be somebody's secretions, and then you're going to touch yourself. So it, it, it probably does help to some extent, yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've seen a lot of people walking around with masks, surgical masks on their face. Is that something that people should be thinking about doing? No, absolutely not. Um, if they're sick, they should stay home. If they absolutely have to go out, and it's an absolute necessity, they should wear a mask. Um, otherwise, they, they shouldn't need to. We, we think that the asymptomatic patient is, is relatively low contagiousness, and by staying six feet away, that's going to really help you. So a mask is probably not necessary. Also, I mean, unfortunately, there's a, a lot of need for masks in the hospital, and, and we really want to have enough. And right now, there's if you go to Amazon, you can see the prices. I mean, there's not enough masks out there. So we don't want to just willy-nilly use a mask just for walking around. It's really not necessary either. Yeah. And, and just to make it clear for everyone, when he says as, as asymptomatic, you mean people who don't exhibit symptoms, correct? Yes. People without cough or fever, correct. Yeah. And, you know, one, one question that, uh, you know, uh, people had is sort of if they don't have uh, symptoms, you know, should they should they be taking any any different action than they're taking now? Or should they just be, you know, essentially? Why can you explain to them why they should restrict their lives even if they don't have symptoms? Well, yes, um, this, is, this is a highly contagious virus, a novel virus, a new virus that uh, the human population, to our knowledge, at least in the last couple centuries as has never seen before. We don't have any immunity. It's spreading like wildfire, unfortunately, and not to, not to make people panic, but it, it's spreading quite a bit throughout the U.S. and, and Europe right now. And um, if you don't need to go out, you shouldn't really go out. If you can go out and take a nature walk and you're, you're, you're away from people, six feet or more away from people, there is zero wrong with that. That's absolutely fine. You don't really have to lock down in your homes. But, um, you know, what, what could happen if, if, if this virus spreads uh, quite a bit more, there, there, there could be more drastic measures that could come around the pike, such as, say, um, uh, like a curfew, you know, where people are not allowed out. Uh, there, there could be, uh, you know, like an in-city quarantine. There are some cities in, in New York where they're not letting people out of the city. They have to stay in the city limits and they have the National Guard to reinforce that. So it's really important to try to do this now uh, before it gets a lot worse. And it's already spreading with people doing what they're doing now. They need to keep doing it and do better if they can. 
You know, one of our listeners asked, you know, could a full quarantine be effective or would it just delay the peak or flatten the peak of the of the pandemic? Do you, can, yeah, can, that's a that's a great question. I, I don't know the answer, but either way, it's helpful. You know, that's either <laughs> way it's helpful. You know, that helps the whole population that way. You know, is it the same person asked, is it inevitable that half the population is going to ultimately be infected with this no matter what we do? Um, don't know the answer. Time will tell. It certainly seems like we're headed towards something like that. I, I don't know the numbers. I've, I've seen 75 percent. I've seen 50 percent. I'm not an epidemiologist. I, I don't know exactly how to answer that question, but it certainly seems like it's headed to a big percentage, you know, not a one percent kind of thing for sure. Yeah. Um, what, what, what do we do you think we're going to get to a point where testing can be rampant, rampant enough so people are going to know that, let's say they had the virus and they and, the, you know, and then they can go back into the population afterward? I mean, do you think we're going to reach that point sometime in the near future? I think so, because, you know, it's going to come. We're going to get this vaccine. And then how are we going to know, you know, who needs it or not? And they're, 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 so there needs to be more testing, not just this nucleic acid testing, but there probably needs to be some serology testing, a testing of antibody level. And if you have the antibody level, maybe you had a subclinical infection, maybe you wouldn't need the vaccine, you know, and then then if you, and then if you get the vaccine, there needs to be a test to show that it actually helped you, that it it brought you to some sort of immunity. So yes, there definitely needs to be more testing to to come around, but we don't have that yet. Not the vaccine or the serology testing. We just have this nucleic acid testing, the PCR test. Which is a which is a very good test. One thing you um, you mentioned uh, earlier, you talked about antiviral uh, medications or things like that. What what are those? What would that? How would that help us if we didn't have a vaccine but we had some sort of antiviral regimen? What would that do? So we would turn it into sort of like a flu like illness. So you would um, you would if there, if there was no vaccine, you would start the antiviral medication. You would get a test. It would show, say, this PCR nucleic acid test, which shows infection which shows the virus is present in you um and then you would you would take medicine you would take it like the tammy flu that you get for flu you take it for so many days and it would it would directly impair the life cycle somehow of that uh viral replication particle and it would it would slow it down it would stop it it would kill it it would decrease transmission and all these things are things that uh, we hope that antiviral could do there's uh tammy flu itself which is the medication for influenza that that is not effective but but they're looking at that medication in combination with another medication um so uh hopefully it'll be uh available antiviral medication will be available quite soon and by, by quite soon i would say a couple of months three four months hopefully you know we have one some of the questions i've gotten that are just so moving are from people who are dealing with elderly family you know one you know, one woman, Wendy Anders, uh, as a listener said, she takes care of her mom who's 84 years old and she stays with her, you know, about 25 days every month. She's like, I'm washing my hands, cleaning everything I touch. But what do I do if I get sick? What do I do if I get the virus? She's like, I could drive 35 miles home and leave her mom alone. She could stay in the garage. She could stay in a bedroom. She's she, she's like, I don't know what to do. She's planning to stay in for four weeks, but she doesn't know how to take care of her mom. What, what do you say to someone like that? It's a very difficult situation. So her mom is kind of dependent on her for, for her care. Yeah. You could 
use masks if you could get them. You could put a mask on the mom. You could put a mask on her, you know, and keep a mask on. Um, it's, it's, it's very hard. Unfortunately, um, if, if, if you're sick, you, you're just going to have to go get tested. Um, by being with her mom, uh, th- that is a form of uh, social distancing because, of course, you're with your family and, and you're not going out uh, at the bars or such like that. I mean, I, I, I think it would be less likely that she would get that, you know, hopefully, but it is, yeah. it is difficult. It's very difficult until medicines come around. I think uh, she just has to be very careful and really try to avoid as much people contact right now um, as she can and try to limit. The other thing would be to try to limit the visitors to her mother's house. If there's a cleaning lady or if there's anyone else that comes over, uh, certainly family that comes over, uh, they've absolutely got to understand that they've got to be well if, if in fact, she has help. You know, one one series of questions we've been getting from multiple listeners is, you know, you know, that, you know, I was ill. You know, we got one guy saying I was ill in January and I I had an illness and I recovered from it. Can we figure out whether or not I had, uh, you know, COVID-19 back then or coronavirus back then? No, we can't figure that out yet. Um the PCR testing that we have is really t- detecting active infection or active replication of the virus, but I think there will be another test. So there may be something down the, the uh, down the road that will show antibody that will show that you made antibody to this virus and that you're immune. Like I said, when this virus vaccine comes out, if and when you know, God willing, it comes out in the next year, um, they'll be they'll be testing, uh, and, and that person could get a test and and see that if they had it or not, they wouldn't need the vaccine. What you know, one question, another very practical question from one of our listeners, Seal Frisch asked, you know, stores are being depleted of sanitizing products like Purell and so forth. You know, he noticed that you could still get hydrogen peroxide. Is that effective at all uh, in sort of cleaning and killing uh, uh, contagions like this one? I have not seen any literature that supports hydrogen peroxide. Um, Unfortunately, I would say no, it's not effective, although I don't 100 percent know that it's not. But I've never seen anything. But um, uh, you could you could take. Uh, four teaspoons of bleach and you could add it to a quart of water and you've, you've made sort of do it yourself bleach. So that at least could be useful for your hands as long as they could tolerate it. And, and, and more importantly, maybe some surfaces that you could, you could stay, um, keep clean. That's important because people are trying to figure out what do I do if I can't get hand sanitizer or cleaning products? What do I do? And that's, I guess that sounds like a very practical solution. Get, a lot of bleach and, and soap and water, Renato. Soap and water. You can use soap and water. That's very, very effective. That's still highly recommended. Um, and if I could just make one point, please, people, please do not buy up all the hand sanitizer. Just buy what you need. You know, everybody needs this stuff. I, th- I think that comment is a little too late. I'm sorry, but no, know, it's true. Everybody it's needs it. You know, like let's just quit hogging the stuff. You know, you know, we, we're we're getting a lot of questions. Obviously, people are understandably concerned, understandably um, a bit panicked about it. But I think the important thing um, is that people, you know, keep their wits about them. That's that's really what we are trying to to accomplish here by getting people information. Um, you know, um, one uh, one question from another uh, listener is how do you know how long you've likely had the virus before you have symptoms in other words if you're starting to have symptoms you know how long have you had it at that point 
Right. So um, the incubation period is, is 14 days or less, probably more around like five days approximately. So that, that would be um, how, how I would answer that question. Um, and just for the listeners, I, I would want to say uh, something that um, we think at least 80% of these infections are very minor, uh, give very minor symptoms. So really, I mean, don't panic about m- most people are going to have a mild fever and a mild cough and are they, it, it, it won't slow them down at all whatsoever. Um, the, the, the fatality rate is, is, it looks like it's around two or 3% approximately. It may go down as we do more testing and we really see that a lot of the people aren't as sick as we thought they were. So it might be more of the 1%, which is what we had with the swine flu uh, outbreak a few years ago. So um, 5%, 5% of people might have some pretty serious, you know, hospitalization on oxygen kind of thing. So it's, it, the numbers are definitely in people's favor. You know, I've heard that one of the issues that, that the medical community is concerned about is, is sort of a, a limit on the number of respirators we have. Is that, is that tied into what you just talked about? Yes. For sure, and it's more more tied into I think that to what we talked about earlier when you asked me about flattening out of the curve. You know that we don't want to get a lot of people sick all at once. If we can just delay things, we might have medicine, we might have vaccine, and we won't have everybody sick <clears throat> all at once. You know, there there is a limit. You know, there's a limit to hospital beds. There's a limit to ICU beds. There's a limit to uh, ventilators. Exactly. So those are those are very um, you know, things that, you know, please keep your social distancing so we don't have to think about those kind of things. Without a doubt. You know, one of our listeners asked, and I think, you know, it's a good question. You know, how long does, she, she asked, how long does the whole ordeal last if you have the virus without complications? I think she means without serious symptoms. So you're, you're going to be in isolation for 14 days. At that point, you're you're going to be released for you know, work, um, you're going to be, you're going to not have a fever for at least three days before you uh, get, uh, before you get released uh, and get off of isolation. Um, so I think, um, you know, it's, it, I think for most people, it's going to be a few days to a week of feeling sort of yucky, basically, if you don't mind my non-medical term. No, absolutely. People, people are looking for something—a very straight talk on this. I, you know, I, I think, um, you know, another question I think that we've gotten from a number of different people is sort of how we can support uh, local businesses uh, despite this, uh, you know, the need for social distancing. Lauren asked, you know, what are good, safe ways to support local businesses that have to stay open so people you know, uh, you know, aren't going to have to go without money. Like, what do we do? How do we, so how, for example, is it okay to get food delivered from a restaurant? Like, do is that something we should feel comfortable doing? You know, what, what recommendations do you have to people? Sure. Of course you have internet businesses and then, um, uh, you won't, you won't catch this virus that way. Um, and then, um, I think, uh, the food delivery, food pickup, I, I don't see any problem with that. This is, this is not felt to be a GI illness and we don't think that um, you're going to transmit, you know, um, the only way would be if the person handing the food out is sick, I think, and that's going to be hopefully screened at the point of of the job. So I think this is 
still a good way to support your businesses, you know, without getting, without going there. You know, in Italy, they closed, they closed a lot of businesses. uh, So hopefully we can support them through the internet and um, the other things we talked about, right? Yeah, it's a very, very difficult situation. You know, you see in Italy that basically everything's closed down other than grocery stores and pharmacies. Uh, And it's, you know, difficult uh, because, you know, all of us have friends who own shops and stores or, uh, you know, or work at a shop or a store, a local business, and they, they're trying to figure out how to survive. And that's a very difficult thing. So, so this is the real deal. This is a real pandemic. If we, if we do the right things now, that's going to help, you know, get rid of this thing in, in, a, in a month or two. We should be significantly better uh, like China is two and a half months out, they're doing much, much better. A lot of these, you know, hospitals that they had to put up, uh, they, they, they took them back down. Uh, they're not seeing one-tenth of the amount of cases that they used to see. So, and that's about two and a half months uh, of disease there. So if we do the right things now, we will get better. It will definitely get better. Well, that's actually, I think, a really great, a hopeful note to end this because I think people are, um, we're really concerned about, you know, they don't feel a lot of hope right now. They feel a lot of panic and concern. And, you know, people are looking for some hope in this time. And, and you know, that definitely gives us some hope that, you know, maybe this is something we're going to go through for two or three months. And, you know, we won't have hopefully too much of a spread here, too much illness for people. Uh, and, and hopefully uh, people still be able to support themselves. You know, I think with this uh, travel restriction and uh, the, the, the business restriction, the um, uh, lack of group uh, gatherings and uh, keeping the social distancing, I think that is going to be hugely helpful going forward. And the other thing is stay home if you're sick. Absolutely. Well, I hope you're right. Thank you so much, Dr. Whitley. I really appreciate you joining us. Thanks, Renato. Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Topic. Please subscribe to this podcast, go to your app and review the podcast, and join us for our next episode. I'm Renato Mariotti. Until next time, let's stay on topic. that newsmakers try to manipulate the audience. They want you to believe that they are the one holding the line and they'll use any trick they can to get you there. But don't let them fool you. Get unspun. I'm Amanda Sturgill. I've been a reporter, and today I teach future reporters to cut the spin and think critically about what newsmakers say. My podcast, Unspun, shows you how to know when you're being manipulated by the news. Learn to spot the tricks and how to make up your own mind about what's true. So if you're tired of being fooled by the news, subscribe to Unspun today. Unspun, because you deserve the truth.